I've been taking the second session and working through some questions and answers from the Orthodox Catechism. And we dealt with the sufferings of Christ and then his death uh, and resurrection. And now we're going to ask the question about his ascension. Sometimes we don't, in our thinking, connect the ascension and the implications of it with our own salvation. But scripture does that very thing. How do you understand that he ascended into heaven is the question. Here's the answer, that Christ, his disciples looking on, remember this is Acts chapter 1, was taken up from the earth into heaven and yet still is there for our sakes. That's an interesting way to put it. He's there for our sakes and will be until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. So basically, how do you understand that he ascended into heaven? Three things. Christ was taken up into heaven while disciples looked on. Uh, So hundreds, at least, saw the resurrected Christ. We don't know how many people saw the resurrected Christ ascend. We know at least the disciples did. He was taken up into heaven while his disciples looked on. So the body that he assumed and developed starting in the womb came out and then the body that he lived and died in, that he rose in, mysteriously ascended into heaven as the, as the disciples were eyewitnesses. Second part of this answer, how do you understand the ascension? Christ is in heaven for our sake. For our sake. There's something that benefits us that he's in heaven. And then third, Christ will be in heaven until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Mark 16, 19 says, So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. In Acts, we read this in Acts 1, 9 through 11. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside him. They said, they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So these texts assert that Christ ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and will come again to this earth. But what is he doing, here's the question, in heaven, and how does this benefit us? It says, the catechism says, he yet still is there for our sakes. Now several scripture texts assert that Christ intercedes for us as our high priest in heaven. So do you think that, that's a mysterious thing to think about, the the heavenly intercessory ministry of our Lord is for our benefit. You think it benefits us. 
I think most people would say, yes, it does benefit us. Hebrews 7.25 links our salvation actually with his intercession. So he makes himself a, a, a guilt offering and then he intercedes for those that he makes a guilt offering for. The, his work of accomplishing redemption, having been completed, his intercession is for the purpose of the application of the benefits of redemption. There's a hymn, by the way, written by Charles Wesley that captures this. Arise, my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love is precious blood to plead. His blood atoned for every race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me, forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Let not that ransomed sinner die. My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence, I now draw nigh and father of a father cry. So I think what Charles Wesley was trying to do there is, is, is depict for us in the poetic language of a hymn um, the current blessings of having ascended into heaven, the current blessings or the fact that he ascended for us and he sits for us and he prays for us and we receive the benefits of his redemption um, as a result of that. There's many other texts we could go to that, that tell us about his ascension, uh, but I want to go to the next question. It is related to it. Is not Christ with us then until the end of the world as he has promised? If he ascended, how can he be with us if he ascended? Here's the answer. Christ is true God and true man, and so according to his manhood, is not now on earth, but according to his Godhead, his majesty, his grace and spirit is at no time apart from us. So you see what the catechism's doing? He ascended into heaven and he's going to come again in glory. Did he leave us? Yes. Is he present with us? Yes. How can that be? That's what they're dealing with. Here the catechism asks about the promise of Christ's presence with believers in light of the fact that he has ascended into heaven. So, so if we're going to be good thinking Christians, which we should want to be, we're going to have to distinguish, right? If he ascended into heaven, this must refer to the Son of God incarnate according to his human nature, Right? Do you want to say, well, his divine nature ascended with his human nature and is now located in heaven? We don't want to say that, right? Because the divine nature, being divine, is omnipresent. It's just of the essence of God to be that, immense, omnipresent. 
So we have to distinguish between his human nature and his divine nature. How can he be in heaven and with us at one and the same time? The answer is that we must distinguish between what Christ does according to his human nature and what Christ does according to his divine nature. He is both true God and true man. His human nature, body and soul, is in heaven. His manhood is not now on earth, says the catechism. But by virtue of his divine nature, he is at no time apart from us. Our Lord, by the way, taught the disciples that he would not be with them always, and yet that he would be with them always. For instance, Matthew 26, 11, he said, For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Remember when he said that? You do not always have me. What is he talking about? He was going to leave the earth. He was going to ascend into heaven. But then we read this in John 16, 16 through 18. A little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he is telling us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father... So they were saying, what is this thing he says? A little while. We do not know what he is talking about. Now, isn't that interesting? That's John chapter 16. We'll get there one of these centuries. That's John chapter 16, and they're still stumbling over the words of the Savior. But he says here, because I go to the Father. Okay, so that refers to his ascension, right? I'm going to the Father. My body is now located, space-extending body, is located here on earth. I'm going to be relocated. Do we say the same thing about his divinity? He's going to relocate his... That just sounds way wrong, right? Relocate his uh, divinity. So if we take this and go backwards in time from his ascension... And if we're, saying, we're willing to say this, this is just the relocation of his human body. He's going to enter glory, being glorified as a forerunner for the rest of us. But he's not relocating his divine nature. So then if we go backwards of that and talk about the incarnation, was the incarnation the relocation of his divine nature? Did his divine nature go from heaven to earth? No. But he does say weird things like, I have come down. What does that, theologically, what does that mean? Well, it has to mean his state of humiliation. He assumed human nature. So this was referring to his ascension. Because I go to the Father, Peter confirms that Christ is now in heaven when he says of Jesus in Acts 3.21, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Peter goes on to assert that all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. And these days, in that text in Acts chapter 3, refers to the days in which Peter and his audience were living, the days after the ascension of Christ into heaven, or what is often called the inter 
between the Advents, the inter-Advental period, the time between the first and second comings of Christ. So the ascension implies the absence of Christ from earth and his presence in heaven. And yet, our Lord also promised the disciples this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember that in Matthew 28? I'm going to go to the Father, I'm not going to be with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The only way this promise can be true, and it is, is if Christ is referring to his divine nature. That's Matthew 28, 20. Okay, so this is after the resurrection, right? He's on this mountain with the disciples, and he makes this promise to them. He's speaking according to his human nature, right? Now glorified, out of the tomb. He's speaking according to his human nature, about his divine nature, He does that all over the Gospels, by the way. It cannot be true that he is present in heaven and present on the earth according to his human nature, both at the same time. That's not human nature, right? And we're not Lutherans. We don't believe in the ubiquity, the omnipresence of the exalted son's body. We don't believe in the communication of omnipresence from the divine nature to the human nature in the person of the Son. That's, that's how Lutherans get Christ at the supper. No Lutheran's going to hear this, so it's a Christological heresy, and we should name it that. That's what it is. Sorry. So, But he makes this promise, I am with you always, and he's speaking by virtue of his human nature, sucking in lungs, uh, air, and throwing out those sound... Uh, or. Uh, sound waves through his voice and communicating to the people there that were listening to him, his disciples, this promise. But it can't be in virtue of his human nature, I am always with you, because he left the earth. They saw him not long after that go up in on this cloud. So it has to be speaking about his divine nature. It is by virtue of the divine nature alone that our Lord can fulfill this promise. His human nature cannot be both in heaven and with the disciples on the earth to the end of the age. Right? Can his divine nature be in heaven and on earth at one and the same time? Yes. Can his human nature be both in heaven and on earth at one and the same time? No. Okay? By the way, well, last question. Are not by this means the two natures of Christ pulled apart if his humanity be not wherever his divinity is? Let me read that again. Are not by this means the two natures in Christ pulled apart if his humanity be not wherever his divinity is? Here's the answer. No. Seeing his divinity is incomprehensible... And everywhere present, it follows necessarily that the same is without the bounds of his human nature, which he took to himself, and yet is nevertheless in it and abides personally united to it. Let me try to make sense of that answer. The divine nature of the Son is not bounded or limited by the things his human nature is bounded by and limited by, correct? If the divine nature is infinite then 
It cannot be finitized by the incarnation because then it wouldn't be the divine nature. Correct? If, it's cha- if the divine nature changes in order to become incarnate or while being incarnate, then it's not God who became incarnate. Okay? So it has to be infinite divine nature assuming human nature. Christ is one person with two natures. He acts as our mediator according to both natures, each nature doing what is proper to itself. Is it proper for the divine nature to be able to be present with the disciples throughout the interadvental period? Yes, it is. Is it proper to the human nature to be present with all the disciples between the ascension and second coming of Christ? No. Uh, by the way, absent, 2 Corinthians 5.8, absent from the body, present with the Lord, you know what that means? The souls of departed saints depart their bodies and go and be present with the Lord Jesus in heaven according to both his divine and human nature, which is a wonderful heart, uh, promise for believers Our confession puts it this way in terms of these two natures and the work of mediation. Christ in the work of mediation acteth according to both natures, by each nature doing that which is proper to itself, yet by reason of the unity of the person, that which is proper to one nature is sometimes in Scripture attributed to the person denominated by the other nature. I am with you always. Okay, that's the... the Son of God incarnate speaking according to his human nature with reference to his divine nature, okay? That's all the technical language of our confession. That's what it means at the end. In Matthew 28, 18, we are told that Jesus came up and spoke to them. The last thing he said in that passage was, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it was Jesus according to his human nature that spoke to them, but the promise I am with you always, even to the end of the age, is fulfilled according to his divine nature, according to Christ's human nature. He is now in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, interceding and ruling his kingdom. According to Christ's divine nature, he is giving grace and gifts to men by his spirit and present with his people on the earth. He still acts according to both natures, by the way, by each nature doing that which is proper to itself. So it, was pro- it is proper, uh, given, the, given the fact of an ascension, that that be his human nature that ascended. Because it's proper to human nature to be able to be li- relocated. It's not proper to the divine nature to be relocated. So when we take the supper, we call this the body, we call that the blood, the cup, the bread, the um, They are signs signifying, but they are not the things that they signify. Otherwise, they wouldn't be signs. They'd be the things themselves, right? So this is not Jesus' body relocating mysteriously by virtue of, you know, me praying over the bread or something. This is not present in heaven and yet present on earth according to his human nature. It's not what not what happens here. But the benefits procured by virtue of his human nature way back 2,000 years ago are spiritual benefits that come to us through the means of grace ordained by the Lord himself. The supper is one of those means. So that's why we should pray, Lord, bless it to the well-being 
of our souls, bring spiritual benefits through the means ordained by Christ to the people of Christ so that we can feed on Christ. That's some of the language of the confession on the chapter on the Lord's Supper. Feeding. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Remember when Jesus said that in John 6? Now, if you read it in the passage, he's talking about believing. He's talking about faith. Um, but I think it does say something about the supper, too. We're, we're feeding on Christ. We, we, by faith, we do what he says, and through the means ordained, he blesses us. So we should be uh, thankful for that, and I will pray. Thank you, Lord, for the ascension, the current session of our Savior and the, the promise of his coming But until then, the promise of his being with us until that day. We thank you for that promise. This requires a two-natured redeemer, for he made that promise while he was on the earth, and yet he, according to his human nature, left the very ones he promised to be with. Uh, He left them not long after that. So this requires us to distinguish and to think Uh, deeply and scripturally about the person of our Savior, the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, the Word, who assumed uh, our, our flesh, body and soul, in order that he might assume our duties, living under the law, in order that he might also assume our liabilities, dying that he might redeem us from its curse. Thank you. For all this, now bless as we partake together, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.